setting that I was, and, and I, I cannot tell you the memories I have of going out into the pea patch and picking peas and uh, putting them in big, these old bushel things. I don't believe you can find those anymore. I guess they still exist. Those old bushel things made of straw or something. You know, piling them up, bringing them in. We, we picked them early when it wasn't so terribly hot, and we'd go there to the shelf. And uh, so they, I've done a think about this. So they, they just couldn't imagine what on earth I was talking about as we walked around this. Uh, Garden. So I came up with the right idea of giving one of our vacation days over to picking peas and shelling I said, wouldn't that be fun, guys? And you can imagine uh, it, the, the, the reaction of their faces was very much as though words had begun to crawl out of my nose and all along my face. That's the way their faces respond to the idea of giving a vacation day to shelling peas. But I say it was homiletically useful because I hadn't been in a garden in a long time. And it was really, really good to go and uh, getting towards harvest, looking through this garden. We literally walked along some of the little uh, rows. And it was just a little backyard garden. You could kind of see all of the little stuff. I just looked up and down those rows. In my mind, as I was getting ready for this simple imagery of the garden. But all the assumptions are lessons from the garden. You know, uh, we're, ta we're taking a little break, Richard, from the book of Revelation. We did Revelation all through the, the uh, early part of the summer. We're going to go back to Revelation in September. And you'll know the imagery from Revelation is lofty and very, very, very complex and and you really have to take out your spiritual magnifying glass to, to follow to make sure you're paying attention and not getting something wrong because that imagery is so mysterious and uh, complicated, I guess you could say. Well, uh, the Bible has places like that. The Bible also has places that's here in Jesus' own teaching, which are very, very simple and easy to understand. Even a Rural kid from Mississippi like me can understand what Jesus is telling us, especially when he's explaining it uh, in, in this parable. So I want to get you to open the Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at three parables from Matthew and one from Mark in this little series. Back to Matthew 13, 1 to 23. Yeah, can I get it? Richard, get it heading the parable of the sword. Go read it towards the east of those who have those in the book of 994-995. Jesus here is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and he's doing it by using a parable. We can actually use the word parable in this first part of Matthew 13. But uh, it does describe it down in verse 10 as a parable. A parable is a, a way of teaching that was distinctively uh, Christian, distinctively the Lord. He uh, taught using parables. And a parable often has the formula that includes the word like. 
And so here in, in Matthew 13, for instance, uh, several times you have recorded that the kingdom of heaven is light, not 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 to look verse 24. We'll see the kingdom of heaven like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Look down at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Look across the page of verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in the field. Verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that is let down into the lake. A parable is where the Lord takes something simple and uses it to explain something complex. And I'm sure a much more scholarly definition for tonight. Let's, let's go with that. It's where the Lord takes a simple, homespun illustration and then uses that to tell us, teach us something that is uh, very complex. What he's teaching here in parables, the lessons in the garden are parables. In this particular chapter in Matthew includes a whole host of parables. Now, go to a lecture at a university or a college today and you sign up to study economics and go into the classroom and the teacher, well, you know something about that book? If Will goes into his uh, graduate program in economics and the professor starts teaching his economics in a parable, you might be very surprised. You might scratch your head and say, why on earth is he teaching the economics in this funny way? Now, it's one thing to take illustrations. It's one thing to use illustrations. But to actually try to communicate the subject matter through a parable is an unusual way to teach. Uh, you can find that true in economics class today, and apparently, it was a bit unusual when Jesus did it as well. So if you look down at verse 10, the disciples come up to Jesus, and they ask him the same thing we would say. Why do you speak in parables? Why are you here to teach us about the kingdom of heaven in this unusual way, by using these parables? Good question. Why are they asked? Because he tells them in verse 11. Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That is, it's been given to the disciples, and you put it all to the purpose here without verse 18. But the, uh, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have not been given yet to the larger multitude of people in chapter 13, verse 2. There's this large group of people. And Jesus is saying, I am teaching in parables because, in answer to their question, because the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you, but they have not been given to the young folks. Whoever has is given more than he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Then he says in verse 13, this is why. Uh, you, they, he says they are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, that's a, that is a very interesting answer. Jesus said, I am teaching in parables 
specifically because they refuse to hear. Now, what, what is he saying? Uh, he did not come to be intentionally uh, difficult to understand, but he did come intentionally to divide people. He came and his teaching had the intended purpose of dividing in fulfillment of the scripture. So the parables had this effect. When he would come in and teach, as he was doing here, several things would happen. People would respond. Now, humanly speaking, it's like this. Jesus comes in and he teaches a parable, and one response is to scratch the head and think, now what does that mean? I want to know. I'd like to know. So I'm going to listen to this teacher. I'm going to come alongside him. I'm going to pay attention to him. I'm going to bring in my questions. I'm going to talk to him because what he says is interesting to me. There's some connection. I can't put my finger on it, but I'm interested. And Jesus' teaching of the parables would have that effect among a number of people. They would, they would hear these, these mysterious, in some ways, teaching. This teaching, and it's, it's not mysterious in that it's difficult to understand. It's mysterious in grasping what exactly he's saying. It's an unusual way to teach. And so the human response would be very simply, I want to know more. And so humanly speaking, people would respond to his parables by asking him, as the disciples did, explain this to me. They would relate to him. Now that's one response. But that, of course, wasn't the only response. Some people responded to the parables by hating him for it, by not responding with an openness or curiosity or interest. Uh, they would reject him. They, they, would, they would not respond in any way, humanly speaking. Now, that's how we perceive it on the human level. But Jesus is actually stepping back and looking at it at a supernatural level. And what he actually is saying is, God gives ears to hear as it pleases him to give ears to hear. We don't know exactly how that works. It's not our business to know how it works. But the parables are the God-given means of identifying the people who have ears to hear. They will respond as these disciples had responded. And so the parables serve that purpose to this day. Jesus' teaching will divide people. People will either want to know more or they will reject it and close their eyes to it. Uh, I've actually experienced both of those responses. I'm sure anybody who's been in ministry for very long has experienced that, if they know anything about the gospel. Uh, I remember once visiting a church that I was interviewing at, and uh, I gave my little sermon. I was fairly young in, in the ministry and was looking for a job, and so I came in, and I tried my best to give uh, a little gospel talk. And I remember looking out across the congregation, you could see the faces and you could tell from the faces the responses, not always, but often. And I remember looking and seeing one little lady, I think she was in her 90s, and uh, she just had this glow about her, and I was talking to her afterwards. She said, I've been praying for someone to come into our little church who would preach the gospel. I'm so glad you've come. Thank you. And then there was another response I could see on the faces, which is just this glassy-eyed non-interest where a God, the same gospel presentation, the same teaching of Jesus, elicited from this one person a response of joyful acceptance and from others a cold stoniness. Well, 
It's not by accident that that is so. The teaching of Jesus, his own parables, have that effect. They, they divide people. And to this day, as we look at Jesus' teaching, his teaching will divide. We're naive if we think that teaching Christ is going to bring uh, a big, happy, warm, and fuzzy all the time. It isn't so. When you preach Christ, some people will reject it. And that's intended. It's no surprise to Christ that some will reject his teaching. So the kingdom of heaven, he shows us through parables, uh, will divide people. It will, it will show those who have a heart open to the gospel. And it will show those who don't. Now here in this particular parable, switching gears for a moment, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like, well, two things I want to focus on with you all tonight, this, this um, gardening 101. First of all, the kingdom of heaven is like a gardener. All right, look at, uh, at verse 3. There's this large crowd of people. Jesus is in a boat. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a gardener. Jesus doesn't use the word like here, but it, it is clearly a parable, as he himself says later on. Uh, and he explains what this farmer is down in verse 19, 18 and, and 19. Uh, the, 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 uh, the gardener is anyone who uh, comes in and uh, proclaims the word. The message about the kingdom in verse 19 or from Mark chapter 4, the word, or even more explicitly from the gospel of Luke, the word of God. That's, that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven, rather, is like a gardener sowing. Now, that's, that's a good thing for you and me to have straight. Because there are lots of voices telling us what we should be about in kingdom work. Lots of different voices. Uh, and some of them are, are obvious and some are less obvious. I remember uh, talking to some people about Christian things. And their understanding of a church, which is very much about kingdom work, is that a church is a little bit like a cheap country club. And uh, the purpose of a church is to get together and have fun. And, and uh, you very likely will not get around to talking about anything remotely spiritual, uh, but you might have some pretty decent parties. You might have a, a cocktail now and then. And uh, that's what kingdom work is about. It's, it's a cheap country club. And I've known people like that in my ministry. I imagine you have as well. That's pretty obvious to know that that is not an accurate definition of kingdom work, that kingdom work is much more than that. A little more subtle, though, uh, you hear from people from time to time that kingdom work is about social work. And I remember getting into a, a heated debate with uh, someone uh, not too long ago in this diocese about, uh, about social work. And uh, they were saying that, that the work of the, of the kingdom is to, is to uh, help people with food and water and medical care, full stop. And uh, that we are doing kingdom work whenever we do that, whether Christ is ever mentioned or not, and uh, that, that really the church should get over this fixation on Jesus. And uh, I couldn't disagree more. Of course we do social ministry. Of course we reach out to the poor, the oppressed, those who suffer, as in Peru. Of course we minister to them in Christ's name. As a matter of fact, that's sowing. When we go in Christ's name explicitly, and we make it plain that we're there because of him, 
and not to draw attention to ourselves. We're there because of him. That is actually sowing. That's doing kingdom work. And the kingdom of heaven is like that, a gardener. But we have to be really careful to stay focused on what we're supposed to be about as a church and as individuals. We are about sowing. Uh, There's something wonderfully liberating about that. We're not in the business of, uh, of fully preparing and being responsible for the harvest. We can't do that. All we can do is sow. Now, the word for sow here in verse 4 is, um, is scattering. Now, I talked about a garden in Mississippi, and there, like the gardens of my youth, uh, the garden was laid out in rows, and the seeds had been very specifically spaced, and, you know, the, the, the planting was different. But here, the picture that Jesus uses is of walking along as though uh, the sower is sowing ryegrass. If you ever planted, planted ryegrass, uh, we have a spot in our yard that doesn't have grass. And so what you do is you get a big handful of seed and you just throw it out there. And the picture here is of someone walking along with a, with a sack full of seed, reaching in, and he simply throws the seed as he goes. And the picture, really, this idea of scattering is he, he's indiscriminate. He just takes a handful and he throws. That's the kind of, of uh, sowing that the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a, like scattering seed. I was thinking about that this morning, this idea of scattering seed. Uh, would it be logical to go to the Sahara Desert and scatter seed? Would it be logical to go into the middle of a, of a parking lot and scatter seed? The, the human answer is, of course, not. And if we were talking about uh, gardening like this, it would not be a good thing to do. The difference, though, with spiritual gardening is... We are surrounded by all kinds of soil, spiritually speaking. Tonight, without a doubt, there is all kind of soil here. And that's true anywhere. There is no spiritual Sahara Desert. There is no spiritual um, parking lot. God is going to have his people in the most unlikely places. And the way we know that is because he has sent a messenger there. God's word doesn't go forth void. If he has sent a messenger there, there will be fruit. It may take a very long time. The person sowing the seed may not see the fruit, but God doesn't waste his seed. And if he has sent a messenger, if that messenger has come to sow the seed, there will be a harvest someday, somehow. And it may be one or two people, or it may be one or two thousand but there will be a spiritual harvest, and we can be sure of that. And so our ministry is about sowing the seeds, walking along. Now I got these little uh, cards. Those are Welcome to Trinity cards. And uh, I wish you all would take some of these cards with you. And while I don't really want you to walk into the restaurant or to the schoolroom and just throw them on the floor, I do wish you'd scatter them around. You never know how God is going to take one of these little pieces of paper and use that to bring someone to hear the gospel. We actually had someone here at Trinity After Dark. You all know this story, those who come here regularly. Um, A lady who is a waitress over at a restaurant near here. She hasn't come lately because of her work schedule. 
But uh, one Tuesday breakfast, I gave her one of those little cards. And I, I mean, I got to confess to you as I gave it to her, I, I, I just thought it was a waste of time. But I thought, you know, why not ask this nice lady to come to church? And she came. Now, if, to be honest, I didn't know what her response would be. And when I gave it to her, she didn't say anything. Just sort of, oh, thank you, and put it in her pocket. She showed up at church the next Sunday, and she came for several weeks. And you never know how when you put out a little piece of paper like that with a name and an address and service times, people will respond. God is preparing people. He's putting it on their hearts mysteriously, invisibly. He's touching them so that they're ready to receive this. And so I want to encourage you. I'm going to pick those up and put them over there. And when you leave tonight, I wish you would take one or two or three of these cards, have them in your wallet, have them in your handbag. And when you are moved to do so, give it to someone. And I hope you'll be moved more and more. What I've found is once you do it and you see the response, you can kind of get enthusiastic about this and because you never know how God's going to use it. Well, that's one example of sewing. Let me give you another example. Uh, Philip, I've arranged for him to wear tonight this beautiful T-shirt. Uh, Trinity Hillcrest Church. Now, you may not think of it this way, but wearing a T-shirt that has your church's name on it, and our particular shirt has the new church logo on it. Thank you very much, Philip. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, that is a kind of sewing in a very painless way. When you walk into a room, you say hello to someone, they look at your T-shirt and they say, oh, well, this is a pretty cool guy. Not in Philip's case, of course, but, you know. Uh, no, they'll say, this is a, this is a cool guy. I, w- I want to know more about his church. You never know. Uh, those are just a couple of little examples. There are, of course, countless examples because actually the, the seed sowing the Lord is describing here has less to do with uh, cards or T-shirts. It has more to do with simply bearing witness. Uh, it's what I'm doing now, but it's also what you do when you relate to co-workers and friends and family about the Lord, you are sowing seed. You're telling people about Christ. You're telling them the message about the kingdom. And uh, that sowing is what you and I are here to do. We're not primarily a social service agency, let alone a country club. We are a mission. Uh, you know, the Diocese of Dallas has missions. Well, we are a mission in that sense. We're a church on a mission. And we want to sow the seed. So the kingdom of heaven is like a gardener. It's like a farmer, someone sowing seed. And we want to be about that. And we want to be very intentional about doing that. And I want to, I want to really beg you all to take that privileged responsibility very seriously. And think of some of these simple ways that you can do it. We actually have more of these t-shirts over there in the box. All the adult sizes are gone. But we've got kid sizes. We're going to have some adult sizes uh, next weekend, I hope. We gave them all out this morning. It was wonderful. We've got a few more over here. We'll have some more next week. So take some with you so you can be a sower. So the kingdom of heaven is like a gardener. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is like a garden. This is verses 4 to 9 where Jesus teaches the parable. And verses 18 to 23 where he explains it. Uh, the parable itself is pretty well known. Uh, the, the farmer walks along sowing. 
and uh, he scatters the seed. Some falls on the, the path where the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but then it died away when the sun came out. Uh, some fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And then finally, some good seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. Now, the point of sowing seeds is producing a crop. Uh, when you plant a garden, you intend to grow a crop, don't you? I mean, no one in their right mind goes sowing without intending to produce a harvest. And the point of the, uh, the sowing of the seed in this parable is to produce a harvest. And Jesus explains it down in verses 18 to 23. Uh, the seed has a spiritual result. And there will be those, hey brother, come in. There will be those who get this seed, and like in the parable Jesus taught, some will get that seed, and it will fall on stony ground, and, or sorry, on, uh, on um, ground where the, the person doesn't understand it, and the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And we've all seen that. Someone comes in, and there's just no response. The seed falls on hard ground, and uh, that hardness of heart results in nothing. And the evil one comes in, takes the seed away. We've seen that result. That's one barrier to the harvest that we're praying for, a hardness of heart, verse 19. There's a second barrier, and it's hardship, verses 20 and 21. The, the, the seed falls on rocky places, and that's a man who receives, here's the word, receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, this is verse 21, he quickly falls away. Hardship. Uh, I can't tell you how often I've seen that happen in church life. Where someone comes in and there is some initial indication that they've received this message of the kingdom and they're excited about it. And you may see them for several weeks and they may come to Bible studies and they may show up for things. But then hardship comes along or they get distracted. And next thing you know, you don't see them again. You don't see them. The seed, same seed, but the reaction is different. It's, it's shallow. It takes, it takes root, but there's no uh, place for the plant to grow. And if you try to plant a garden in stony ground, you'll see this kind of thing. The little buds will try to grow up, but they'll, they'll eventually die because there's no depth there. And Jesus said uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like that sometimes. And then in verse 22, he says that uh, there's a third reaction. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Three barriers, hardness of heart, hardship, and then thirdly, what I've just called stuff. And in fact, the very blessing which God gives us can keep us from fruitfulness. Isn't that a sad irony? Someone comes in, they respond, they're around for a while. But the very blessing of God, the material blessings or jobs or, or uh, any other kind of distraction comes along, they get, uh, they get distracted and they fall away. Isn't that sad? Stuff. And then fourthly, 
in verse 23, the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, and he produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, in Jesus' parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a garden where three-quarters of the seed doesn't appear to bear any fruit. Three-quarters of the effort, three-quarters of the sowing that he describes here, three out of the four examples he gives are negative examples. People who do not respond to the message of the kingdom. Well, you know what? That's exactly what we can expect as well. Most of what we do will fall on deaf ears. Most of what we do will not be picked up, will not bear fruit that we're praying for. And you know what? That's just something we've got to understand. That's what this parable is here to teach us. See, the parable is not here directed to the soil. Let, let, let me close with a word of application. This parable is not directed to the soil. This is not a parable to challenge people to change their category of soil. Uh, I've heard it preached that way, and I don't think it really makes a lot of sense taught in that way because soil can't change itself. No, the point of this parable is the sower, not the soil. Jesus here is teaching his disciples what to expect. What to expect. And he does that by teaching gardening 101. Gardening 101, do what gardeners do. You sow the seed. That's what gardeners do. That's what a farmer does. He sows the seed. That's what we are to do. Understand the garden. Don't be surprised by the garden. Let me get you to look at a few cross-references to, to show you what I, what I think Jesus is telling us here. And in the context helps us understand it. Look back a couple of pages to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 19. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just choosing instances right around uh, Matthew 13. If you look at uh, Matthew 11, verses uh, 1 to 19, you don't need to read the whole story. But it's the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the greatest of the prophets. And uh, John the Baptist here in verses 1 to 19 is arrested and persecuted by the authorities. If you look over at uh, chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, you'll see John the Baptist is killed. He's beheaded. Now that's a little surprising. Is that what, is that what uh, we should expect from kingdom work? Yes. Expect persecution. John the Baptist... Look over at chapter 11, verse um, 20. Jesus is, uh, is uh, here in chapter 11, verse 20. He's pronouncing um, some curses on the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Jesus has gone about working miracles. But they, in verse 20, did not repent. Don't be surprised if you're doing kingdom work, if you're even seeing the miraculous happen, don't be surprised that people will not respond by repenting. 
here they, they did not repent. So he pronounces, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, woe to Capernaum. These are the cities where he'd done most of his miracles. And he's pronouncing woes upon them. Why should, be, we, should be, why should we be surprised that people don't respond to us? Look over at chapter 12, verse 14. This is an interesting one. Chapter 12, verse uh, 14. Uh, chapter 12, 1 to 13 is the story of Jesus healing this man uh, in a synagogue who had a shriveled hand, an amazing miracle. He goes in there, he does this miracle in the full sight of everyone. What is their response? Look at verse 14. The Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill him. Now that is not the reaction you would expect. But Jesus said, understand the garden that you're working in. Don't be surprised. Let me give you two more little illustrations. And these are, these are particularly poignant. Look over at uh, chapter uh, 13 verse 53 Jesus goes to his hometown and uh, he, he's there teaching again in parables and uh, he began in the synagogue to teach they were amazed the word is is really neutral it doesn't mean a positive amazement necessarily they're asking these questions where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers isn't this the carpenter's son isn't his mother's name Mary aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas here aren't all his sisters with us where then did this man get all these things and they took offense at him Jesus said to them only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith don't be surprised if people in your hometown that you know well don't respond favorably to the gospel. Don't give up. Understand the garden. Keep going. Keep your focus. And then finally, uh, the particularly poignant one is chapter 12, verse 46. Here, Jesus is talking to the crowd when his mother and his brothers come outside wanting to speak to him, uh, Matthew is too polite to tell us this, but we know from elsewhere in the Gospels, they came to talk to him because they thought he'd lost his mind. That's why they came to talk to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus has been rejected at this point by his mother and his brothers and family. Now that's the lead-in to the parable of the sower. Rejection, 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 rejection. Apparent failure, apparent failure, apparent failure. You see, the temptation for us is to lose heart, to get discouraged, and God forbid to give up. And so this parable is addressed to disciples. This parable is addressed to people who need to know to keep going don't lose heart this whole parable is here to show us that though we don't always see it god is at work he is producing a harvest we just got to understand the garden and not be surprised by it not to be discouraged by it keep teaching those christianity explored classes turn out small Someone comes, they get ticked off, and they leave. Brendan, you haven't done anything wrong. No one signs up. You know, we've tried things before, no one signed up. 
Don't give up. Keep sowing the seed. Keep reaching out. Because the third and last application, do what gardeners do, understand the garden, and finally, and I'd put uh, triple exclamation points here in terms of application in Gardening 101, trust the seed. Trust the seed. That's such a little point, but it's, it's the key. Jesus is saying that the power of this sower is actually in this seed. It doesn't look like much. A lot of it's going to fall and not bear fruit. But there is life-changing power in this seed. And gardening 101 for us as Christians is to trust that seed. The more we trust it, the more we'll want to scatter it everywhere. Because it's not up to me or you or some clever program or something we've come up with or razzle-dazzle or a big band or, or a gigantic choir or a beautiful building. It's in that seed. That's the power of God. It's in that seed that is scattered all over the place. And that's what missionaries do. That's what our little Christina is doing half a world away. She's taking this seed and she's trusting it. She's just doing the best she can to spread that seed. And that's what we do right here in our mission field in Dallas. We're spreading that seed, trusting that God will bring a harvest. We don't know how. We're going to look at some of that as we go through the remainder of this teaching from the garden. But to trust that seed is gardening 101. To trust the power in God's word to bring people to himself. And we never know how that's going to happen. Just think about it in your own life. I mean, as I think in my life, looking back to those days in Mississippi, I had no idea how God would use those little Gideon's volunteers out there in front of my grade school, handing out a little green testament to the little snotty-nosed kids coming along making fun of them. Those men didn't see. They they, they, They thought they had a really lousy day. But God took that little green Bible... And their intention to sow that seed and used it for good in my life, and I guarantee you, if you think about it, you'll look back and see those places where God has done that in your life. That's the main application I want to close with, is to just trust the seed of the gospel. Trust the seed of the message of the kingdom. That he is going to do that among us. There may be people here tonight who take that little seed and God touches their heart and they think you know I've spent a long time resisting it I don't understand it it's mysterious to me it's confusing to me but I want to know more that's what Jesus' parables do it divide, they divide they, they, they reveal our hearts that's what they do they reveal our hearts and my prayer would be that people everywhere would receive this seed and respond in joyful obedience. Let's bow our heads and pray. Sovereign God, we thank you so much for your life-giving word. Father, we pray that you give us your Holy Spirit to be faithful, spiritual gardeners, that you would help us, Father, as, as the sowers of the seed did in your son's parable, to 
spread the seed, to scatter it. Please help every one of us, Father, to be faithful sowers. Give us enthusiasm for the sowing of your word. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand the environment. Forbid that we would get discouraged. Forbid, Father, that we would be surprised by failure at times and disappointment at times. And teach us, Father, finally, to trust your word and to trust the harvest. Father, we praise you that the harvest is your job. The harvest is what you alone can do, and you are doing it in the most unlikely places. Where you send a messenger, Father, you bring a message of life-giving hope that will change lives. We praise you for that. And we pray, Father, you teach us to trust that seed. Father, there are people who tell us the gospel's old-fashioned. There are people who tell us we need to abandon it and come up with something uh, more exciting. Uh, Father, please forbid that. Help us to regain complete confidence in your word. Complete confidence, Father, in your spirit, using your word to change lives and to open people's hearts to you through Christ. So please help us to do that, Father. I thank you for this group of friends, for the love you've placed between us. Help us to be a church and a group of people, Father, uh, who are more and more and more like the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.